The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, have you ever gotten stuck in an incredibly boring conversation? Have you ever been forced to sit there and endure a one-sided, mind-numbing torrent of words and thoughts? Words and thoughts that have absolutely no interest to you whatsoever? For the first 20 years of my life, that was my perception of church. If you asked me to sum up my concept of church back then, I would have said to you, church and a church service is where a guy takes an hour to answer a question that no one is asking. In fact, as children, myself and my three siblings, what we would do is on a Sunday morning, we would stay really quiet. We would not budge. We wouldn't leave our rooms until it was too late to go to church so our parents wouldn't wake up. And once we knew it was too late to go to church, then we'd get up and watch cartoons and have fun. Church was that boring to us. So, at the age of 19, when I became a follower of Jesus and sensed God calling me to be a pastor and lead my own weekly church service, I was tormented and depressed by one thought. The thought that I would have to spend the rest of my life boring people. And then it occurred to me, hold on, I don't have to bore people. Nowhere in the job description of a pastor does it say, must bore people. So I determined very early in my ministry that I would do my best and work hard to not bore people. So we work hard here at Broadway Church to make our presentations as creative and memorable as possible. Now, admittedly, some weeks were more successful than others, but know that we try. It also occurred to me that I don't have to answer questions that no one's asking. I don't have to talk about things that no one cares about. So we also work hard to be relevant in our topics and our content. In fact, as a response to that, roughly 30 years ago now, I began doing a yearly series that I called the You Asked For It series. And we're doing again this summer. For 30 years now, I've handed over the summer topics to the congregation. For 30 years now, in the month of May, we would put out a a questionnaire to the congregation. And they were anonymous questionnaires. You couldn't sign your name. And it worked this way. We'd hand them out and we'd say, all right, you would write down, Pastor Darren, I've always wondered about. And you would write down an anonymous question. You request a topic. Then we collect them, and we get hundreds of them. And we look at them, we go through them, and we choose the, essentially the top 10 or most requested or most intriguing questions each year. Well, this year, what we've done is, as you've just seen, we've called it the You Asked For It series, Millennial Edition. What does that mean? And what's a millennial, and why are we uniquely polling them? A millennial is someone who is born between the year 1980 and 2000 reaching their adulthood during the new millennium, hence the term millennials. They're the largest generation alive right now, having surpassed the baby boom generation. Millennials grew up as skeptics. They're taught to question everything and trust no one. And they live their skepticism. In the portion of the recent census form where you indicate your religious or spiritual preference, 35% of millennials checked the nothing box. But even those that checked the Christian box are on shaky ground. 
According to a recent study, 66% of Canadian millennials, Christian millennials, leave the faith after they graduate from high school. Think about that. Two out of every three Christian young adults leave the faith. At Broadway Church, we have a lot of millennials, and we are determined to fight that trend. We're determined to walk with them, to address them at their point of need. One of the ways we're determined to do this is to help them face their skepticism head on, to answer every question that they have, and they have a lot of questions. Here are the questions that the millennials of Broadway Church want us to answer this summer. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Simon answered the question, why does God allow evil? Last week, Pastor Lewis answered the question, how can I know God's will? Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be addressing the questions, is abortion and euthanasia biblical? Why did God command so much killing uh, in, in the Old Testament? What about the Bible and the LGBTQ issue? What about the Bible and suicide? Now, how do I live above guilt and shame? The question I'm going to do my best to answer in all of our services today is this. Is God opposed to science? Is God anti-science? In other words, can you believe in God and believe in science at the same time? Can you follow Christ and the scientific method? Or does believing in God mean you have to deny science? In fact, let's put that title up on the screen right now. Is God opposed to science? Now, where does a question like this come from? Where would anyone get the idea that God and science are actually in opposition? How would anyone actually believe such a thing? Have you ever discovered that you believed something that was completely false? Have you ever carried an idea with you for years only to discover that you were completely misguided? I have. I grew up as a little child for the first, essentially, first 50 years of my life, I believed a lie about my grandfather. My grandfather owned a, a large metal fabrication factory in the Niagara region of Ontario. And behind his factory, he raised ponies. He had these Bamba, Snowdrop, Joey were the name of these three ponies that he had. And whenever I'd go visit, I'd go and see these ponies. But my grandfather had two fingers missing on his right hand. And as a child, I asked him, Papa, we called him. I said, Papa, what happened to your fingers? And he said, oh, Darren, what happened was I was feeding the ponies and they bit my fingers off when I was feeding them. Well, that traumatized me as a young child. <laughs> and for the next 50 years of my life, whenever I was feeding an animal, I would hold my hand out like this so that the, you know, the animal wouldn't bite my fingers off because my grandfather had his fingers bitten off by a pony and I don't want my fingers bitten off by a pony. Well, I was having lunch with my cousin a couple years ago, and she lived with my grandfather. And we were chatting away, and I said, well, of course, you know, Papa had his fingers bitten off by those ponies. And she said, what? I said, Papa, he had his fingers bitten off, you know. A snowdrop bit off his fingers when he was feeding him a, a carrot. She said, no, they didn't. That's not what happened. I said, that's what Papa told me. She said, are you nuts? She said, that happened in an industrial accident. A lathe ripped those fingers off. 
my father, grandfather lied to me for 50 years of my life. I'm teaching my kids, no, don't, you know, at a petting zoo, no, don't get anywhere near. Well, just like I had been walking around believing the lie that a pony ate my grandfather's fingers, many people in our world are walking around believing the lie that God is opposed to science. So is God opposed to science? Well, no. Well, then where would anybody get an idea like that? Historically speaking, this idea is actually relatively recent as a development. The beginning of modern science is usually traced back to the 16th and 17th centuries. And a number of the key thinkers and early pioneers were devout Christ followers. Francis Bacon, Nicholas Copernicus, Robert Boyle, Johann Kepler, Galileo, Isaac Newton, just to name a few. Nonetheless, over the last couple of centuries, this idea that you can't believe in God and believe in science at the same time has somehow grown. This relatively modern idea that God is somehow anti-science is rooted in a worldview known as scientism. Now, what's scientism? I've given you a definition on your outlines today. Scientism says we should believe only what can be proven scientifically. That's scientism. We should believe only what can be proven scientifically. Now, at first, on first glance, that appears to be a completely rational claim. It sounds so reasonable until you actually think about it. Read it again. We should believe only what can be proven scientifically. Do you see the problem with that statement? The problem with that statement is this. That statement itself cannot be proven scientifically. You cannot prove scientifically that you should only believe what you can prove scientifically. So what does that mean? It means you can't put that claim in a test tube. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't put that claim under a microscope. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't apply the scientific method to that claim. You can't prove it scientifically. That means that scientism is actually a self-defeating concept, meaning if the claim is true, it means it's actually false. If it's true that you can't believe, that you, can, you should only believe what can be scientifically proven, and if you can't prove that claim scientifically, it's a false statement, it's a false claim. It's circular, it, it, it eats itself, it destroys itself. Is God opposed to science? Absolutely not. Can a person believe in God and believe in the scientific method at the same time? Absolutely you can. And I am reminded of this reality every time I sit in a Broadway church board meeting. Sitting around that table with me, amongst others, are two of the finest scientific minds in our country, if indeed not the world. Dr. Stephen Lamb is a follower of Jesus Christ. He sits on the Broadway board, the board of Broadway Church. He sat right there in our first service this morning. Dr. Lamb is a professor of medicine at UBC. He chairs the provincial lung tumor group at the BC Cancer Agency. He directs the early lung cancer detection research program. He has a team working under him. In 1999, Dr. Lamb was given the award for Outstanding Canadian Academic Discovery. 
In 2002, Dr. Lamb was awarded by the World Association of Bronchology for his pioneering contributions to the field of early lung cancer diagnosis. Recently, he was given the Distinguished Achievement Award for his lifetime scientific achievements in lung cancer prevention research. Can a person believe in God and believe in the scientific method at the same time? Asked Dr. Stephen Lamb. Dr. Mano Javadan is a follower of Jesus Christ. He also sits on the Broadway uh, church board and usually sits over there. I'm sure he's here this morning. Dr. Javadan is a neurologist at Vancouver General Hospital. That means he studies the brain. He's not only a distinguished neurologist, but he's also the director of the neurophysiology lab. He served as the president of the Canadian Society of Clinical Neurophysiology. He also served on the executive board of the Canadian Neurological Society Foundation, Federation. Can a person believe in God and believe in the scientific method at the same time? Asked Dr. Mano Javadan. Now, I could go on and on. This congregation is filled with men and women working in the medical and many other scientific fields. Researching, testing, expanding, applying their scientific knowledge. Sitting in one section every Sunday is a woman who is a leading physician in the field of pain management. Sitting in another section is a world-renowned physician who literally wrote the textbook in the field of radiology. Do these men and women believe in science? Yes. Do these men and women believe in God? Yes. Do they believe in tithing? Yes. I threw that in there. That's not in my notes. <laughs> God is not anti-science. To put your faith in God is not to deny science. Two worlds, these two worlds don't clash, nor do they compete. In fact, they work together. Let me show you. What does science study? The word science literally means knowledge. It's from the word scientia. literally just means knowledge. However, the word science has come to represent the study of a certain field of knowledge. Science studies the physical and natural world. That's what science has become known for in our culture. The word science means the study of the physical, the natural world. The word science has come to represent the systematic study of the physical and natural world through observation and through experimentation. The system of observing and experimenting is called the scientific method. You have a hypothesis and then you, you do a bunch of experiments to see if you can verify or falsify the hypothesis. Now, science wants to know how things work. Science wants to know why things work the way that they work. You could say science studies creation. That'd be a way of putting it. Science studies creation. And scientists devote the best hours of their days to investigating, testing, and researching our world at both the telescopic and the microscopic levels. Science is exciting. Science is always expanding as men and women continue to uncover new insights about the world around us. Science is a wonderful field of knowledge, but it is only one field of knowledge. There are other fields of knowledge. Science, you don't use a scientific method to, under, uh, to, to discover ethical truths or moral truths or, 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 or aesthetic truths. Math, logic, those are different areas. Those aren't scientific areas. There are other fields of knowledge, the spiritual realm. 
For example, theology, as your outline says. We saw that science studies the physical and natural realm, but what does theology study? Well, theology studies the metaphysical and supernatural. Not the physical and the natural, but theology studies the metaphysical and the supernatural world. Well, what do we mean metaphysical and supernatural? Metaphysical and supernatural describe a realm of reality that can't be seen under a microscope or placed in a test tube. Metaphysical and supernatural refer to the realm of the spirit, the soul, and the mind. Not the brain, the mind. Think in these terms. If science studies creation, theology studies the creator. These two areas are not in conflict with one another. They're simply focusing upon different things. Science wants to know how creation works. Theology wants to know who the creator is. Science focuses upon what God made. Theology focuses upon what God thinks. Science focuses upon the footprint. Theology studies the one who's wearing the shoes. Do you see the difference? Okay, let's do a quick review. Is God opposed to science? Absolutely not. This idea that God is somehow anti-science is a fallacy spread mostly by those who adhere to the false view known as scientism. God is not opposed to science. Christ followers are not anti-science. Science is the study of creation. Theology studies the creator. Scientific studies and theological studies don't conflict. In fact, they often overlap. And when they do overlap, they work together. When they do overlap, they actually strengthen each other. You say, well, how? How does theology and science work together? Well, theology makes science possible by providing an ordered world. Science, or theology makes science possible by providing an ordered world. How so? What does that mean? The whole scientific enterprise is based upon certain assumptions. Assumptions which cannot be proved scientifically, but which are provided by the biblical worldview. One of these assumptions is that we live in a world that is rational. That we live in a world that is orderly. A world that is structured. A world that operates according to dependable laws. And you can't prove that scientifically. That had to be just assumed. Scientists had to assume centuries ago that if I studied something today, it would be the same tomorrow. That the speed of light travels the same today as it will tomorrow. And that it's always traveled at the same. That there are certain laws. We call them laws. But we, we just call them laws because that's how nature creation operates. But that's an assumption that we make. We can't prove that. We just assume that's true. So we assume that if we studied the world around us, what we study today would still be true days, months, weeks, years, centuries from now. We assume that the world is rational and ordered and logical. Where do we get that assumption? It was originally built upon scriptural worldview. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, like his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, 
The assumption is made that God created the universe and the world and that our world operates according to not just mathematical laws, but according to natural law, that our world operates in a rational and an orderly and predictable way. That is based upon a biblical assumption. Again, we need to emphasize that science could not even exist without this assumption, and yet this assumption cannot be proved scientifically. It's just observed. This is a theologically based assumption, grounded in a biblical worldview. And historically, that is exactly how it happened. In the 16th and 17th centuries, Christian theology provided the philosophical foundation upon which modern science was built. Is God opposed to science? No, not at all. Science studies creation. Theology studies the creator. They are two different areas of study that sometimes overlap. And we've just seen that when they do overlap, theology helps science by providing it with a foundation of an ordered world. But it works both ways, folks. Science helps theology as well. Well, how? How does science help theology? Science aids theology by verifying and falsifying some theological claims. When religions make theological claims about the natural world, the physical world, they are overlapping with the realm of science. Science doesn't address the moral realm. Science doesn't address the ethical realm. Science doesn't address the spiritual realm. Science only addresses the physical and the natural realm. So, when religions make theological claims about the natural realm, they are making claims which scientific investigation can either verify or falsify. Science can show that such a theological claim is true, or science can expose that theological claim as being false. Let me give you some examples. The claims of ancient Greek religions that the sky rested upon the shoulders of Atlas. Or the claim of Indian religions that the earth rests on the back of a great turtle are both easily falsified by science. One of the most notorious examples was the medieval church's condemnation of Galileo. The church misinterpreted a biblical passage in Psalm 93. Psalm 93, 1 says this, The Lord has established the world. It shall never be moved. Now, that's clearly a poetic statement in the Psalms, which are poetic uh, genre. The Lord has established the world. It shall never be moved. Medieval theologians falsely interpreted that verse to claim that the earth remains still while the sun moved around the earth. Galileo, who was a devout Christian, showed through scientific experiments that, in fact, it was the other way around. The earth moves around the sun. Now, it took way too long. I'm talking centuries. But the church finally came to admit its mistake. On the other hand, science can also verify religious claims. For example... One of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, Judeo-Christian faith, is that God created the universe out of nothing a finite time ago. The Bible begins with the words, the very first words in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The Bible teaches that the universe had a beginning. Now, you need to understand this. This teaching that the universe had a beginning was rejected by both ancient Greek philosophy and by modern atheism. Both the ancient Greeks and the modern atheists claimed that the universe was eternal, that it had always existed. Then, in 1929, with the scientific discovery of the expansion of the universe that we now know, call it as the Big Bang, it, science verified this theological prediction. Science verified that the universe, in fact, had a beginning. Robert Jastrow, head of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, described it this way. I quote him. He said, the scientist has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. What took you so long? How does science help theology? Science aids theology by verifying and falsifying some theological truths. Now, in, in my mind, I see a primitive scientific verification in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 20, it's recorded that Jesus made appearances to the apostles after he was resurrected from the dead. However, one of the apostles, a man named Thomas, wasn't around when Jesus appeared to the others. Thomas heard the claims, but he doubted them. And that's where we get the phrase, doubting Thomas. When Thomas heard their report, he said this to them. He said, oh, listen, this is from John chapter 20, starting at halfway through verse 25. Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, because he was nailed to a cross, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, because the spear was thrust into Jesus' side to make sure he was dead, unless I see, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In other words, Thomas is saying, listen, I need to verify this experience. I need to verify this uh, experimentally. Well, listen to what happened next, according to John's report in John chapter 20. A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. In other words, John's trying to communicate, like Jesus just appeared suddenly. The doors were locked. He didn't come in through the doors. He appeared among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, you moron. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Here, in my thinking, is an example where a primitive scientific experiment placing his finger in the nail marks in Jesus' hands and side, verified a theological claim, the claim that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. So then, theology aids science, and science aids theology. Well, let's begin to sum up today's teaching. As part of our You Asked For It Millennial Edition series this summer, we're answering the question, is God opposed to science? We began by showing where such a question comes from. It's rooted in the false view known as scientism. The false view that the realm of science is the only way to access truth. It is a way to access truth, but it's not the only way. 
We contrasted the realm of science with the realm of theology, another way to access truth. And then we showed how these two realms complement each other. When the two realms overlap, they actually work together by strengthening one another. Which brings us to the big idea of the day. If you're new to Broadway, every Sunday we do our best to summarize the day's teaching in one simple sentence, one big idea. Here's today's big idea. When truth is your target, facts are your friends, no matter where you find them. When truth is your target, when you really want to know the truth, facts are your friends. You will acknowledge the facts, no matter where you find them. If you really want to know the truth, you will acknowledge the facts. Are you a man or woman of science? Do you value the scientific method as a way of accessing truth in your world? Excellent. Keep at it. Go for it. Stay the course. Keep pursuing truth about the physical and natural world around you. But don't forget that there are truths that cannot be accessed by the scientific method. Don't forget that there are truths that cannot be found in a test tube. We, we, we can't tell through the scientific method whether the Nazi scientists were immoral to do the experiments they made on Jewish individuals. We, we can't make that decision scientifically. That is a realm of morals and ethics that is outside of the scientific realm. There are other realms of truth than just the scientific realm. Don't forget that when truth is your target, facts are your friends, no matter where you find them. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you find yourself resenting, maybe even some folks, fearing the realm of science? Why? That's foolishness. That's not a biblical response. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we pursue the truth in every area of life. As a follower of Christ, we follow wherever the evidence leads. Because when truth is your target, facts are your friends, no matter where you find them. Now, I couldn't speak on this subject without briefly touching on this last point on your outlines today. This tension, the tension between science and theology, most often surfaces when it comes to the whole discussion regarding origins the whole evolutionary debate. Did God create the world in six literal days a few thousand years ago? Or did God use the evolutionary process that began at the Big Bang some 14 billion years ago? Hear this. There are godly, intelligent followers of Christ that are on both ends of this spectrum. There are godly, intelligent followers of Christ who believe that the earth is young, and they believe that God specially and instantly created each initial creature. However, there are also godly, intelligent followers of Christ that believe that the universe is billions of years old, and the earth is millions of years old, and they believe that God used the evolutionary process to bring about life as we know it today. And you say, Darren, how can this be? How can Christians reading the same Bible come to such radically different conclusions? Well, two Christians can reach such radically different conclusions because when it comes to the origins of the universe, the Bible commits us to only three things. Look back again at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that verse, God commits us to when in the beginning. 
In that verse, God commits us to who? God. In that verse, God commits us to what? Created the heavens and the earth. But the Bible does not commit us to how. The Bible commits us to who? In the, or the Bible commits us to when? In the beginning. The Bible commits us to who? God. The Bible commits us to what? Created the heavens and the earth. But the Bible nowhere commits us to how. We are free to follow where the evidence leads. Some think it was an instantaneous uh, special creation. Some think that, no, God used the, um, the evolutionary process. And there are people in between that God intervened and interjected in the process. There's all sorts of variances and variations in between. We are free to follow where the evidence leads. There's an ongoing debate. It's been raging for centuries, and it will continue to rage until uh, more scientific evidence is acquired. But here's the thing. As followers of Jesus... We're not committed to any of the hows. We're committed to when, who, and what. But the how, let's follow where the evidence leads. Because when truth is your target, facts are your friends, no matter where you find them.